I hit it plenty far. I, I hit it farther than the average. I had to find a way to keep that ball on the fairway. So those were two data sets that I used. And it wasn't just number of putts. It was what was my three foot conversion because that needed to be a hundred percent. And when it was, I was at my best. And when it wasn't, that was a place that I put a tremendous amount of time and energy into. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. We've all heard the phrases, measuring what matters, and you can't manage what you don't measure. I'm sure there's countless others. On Status Go, we've had numerous conversations about measurements, KPIs, SLAs, XLAs, and more. This got us thinking, why do we measure performance? What should we be measuring? And once measured, what should we do about it? Welcome to a special two-part episode of Status Go. Over these two episodes, we're going to answer these questions and more when it comes to your cybersecurity program and your data protection strategies. In this episode, we're gonna talk golf. Yes, golf. Since we were talking about measuring performance, we thought we should talk to someone whose career and income are directly tied to their performance. What do they measure? Of the myriad of stats and measurements that come their way, which ones are important to them? How do they use those measurements to improve their performance and their paychecks? Of all the sports, why golf? Well, Actually, it's because I was recently watching a golf tournament, and as I watched, all the data just struck me. Ball speed, angle, uh, flight of the ball off the tee, the apex of the ball flight. Every shot provided a mountain of data. And it got me thinking, how do the athletes sort through it all? Today's guest is Allison Duncan. After her college career, Allison spent several years on the Futures Tour and several more on the LPGA. She is now the owner of Lucid Consulting, a company that provides, among other things, project management services to the construction industry. Welcome to Status Go, Allison. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I am so excited about this about this conversation. I'm so glad we were we were introduced. Uh, I'd love for our listeners to hear more about your story. Uh, how did your career in golf come to be? Sure, sure, happy to share that. Um, I I was a I was a tomboy growing up. I grew up around. I had two brothers and a dad who coached um, a number of sports, and all my friends seemed to be boys. And I was I was playing every sport I could I could get access to. Um, as, as a kid and started playing golf seven, eight, nine years old with my brother and dad, just recreationally. I grew up in Michigan, so it was purely a summertime pastime for us. And, um, because of my athleticism, I was, I was good at it. I, I was better than most of my peers, mm -hmm. um, went on to play in high school and was playing softball and golf in the same season. And as a freshman, I was playing varsity softball and golf and knew that I wanted to play 
a sport in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I blew out my knee my sophomore year in high school, which mm-hmm. made that decision pretty easy because I was a catcher in softball. And oh so my. Yeah. That, that knee injury um, made what was an impending difficult decision very easy. And so about halfway through my high school career, I really started to put some more time and energy, intentional time and energy outside of my high school requ- you know, high school golf team and found my way um, to Michigan State, who gave me a, a small little um, incentive to come be a part of their team. I didn't quite have a full ride, but um, enough to, to make me want to be a part of a, a great program. And I went to Michigan State and, you know, I just simply had the ability to, I had everything I needed to be successful Mm -hmm. at Michigan State, right? I had a a great school and a a great schedule of classes and, you know, they take care of Big Ten athletes pretty well. Uh Um, And I had everything I needed and a great coach and, and a program that provided access. And I, I simply outworked everybody on my team and and you could ask anybody on my team and they would absolutely they would absolutely tell you that and there's some pretty funny stories about what that looked like at times but (laughs) i um i I found my way into being a leader on that team i became one of the better players on our team and decided that about halfway through my time at michigan state which was five full years that i was going to um pursue golf instead of medicine, which is what I was originally intending to graduate with a degree in pre-med and, mm-hmm. and go through that whole process. Um, so, and I made that, you know, decision intentionally. I, I yeah. knew that that was a pretty life altering decision at that point. Uh, so I graduated with a degree in chemistry, which was the easiest path to, um, a, a degree. And then went on to play on the mini tours. So I earned my tour card through what we call qualifying school, which is a, a usually a week long event somewhere. And this was for the mini tours. This wasn't for the LPGA yet. And I graduated from Michigan State, played in the national championship, and the following day packed up my car and started <laughs> traveling um, around the mini tours, which is now called the Epson Tour for the LPGA. Um, and, and did that for about three and a half years traveling around the Eastern half of the United States, which is where I, um, I got my 10,000 hours in, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that proficiency of competing and traveling and becoming a professional athlete, um, was really solidified on that tour. And I had some of my biggest challenges, um, through that, that experience and not earning my card and having to come back another year and earning it again and, and really working through some of life's biggest mountains that I had encountered at the time and found my way onto the LPGA tour by, by earning, by being one of the top five money winners on the mini tour. And then I spent the next four years, um, full-time on the LPGA tour, traveling the globe and, and playing golf at the highest level. And you played until you were five months pregnant. Do, do I remember that correctly? I did. Yeah, you do. I, uh, I met my husband about two years before I retired. And 
as soon as I met him, I probably should have called it quits because my focus had changed. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew that I needed 100% of me to compete with the top 1% of the 1%. I I couldn't share my time and energy, but I also didn't know what to do um, because it was all I knew. It felt like it was all I knew at least. And so I played until I was five months pregnant and I could not physically play any longer. And I hung it up and haven't looked back since. That that had to be a challenge. Uh, I, I cannot even uh, wrap my mind around what that would be like. But what I'd love to, to hear, Allison, is how did this experience, how did that career in golf uh, prepare you for what you're doing today? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it it created a level of confidence that nobody can ever take from me. You know, I I reached for something that was the absolute most difficult and pinnacle of what I was pursuing, right? I, I wanted to make it on tour and play with the best. And I found a recipe for success that got me there. And I've left that left that career knowing I can do hard things mm-hmm. and knowing I can handle challenges that knock you down. I know I've gotten up so many times that I, I just realize I'm capable of, of really pursuing and doing whatever I want to do next with, with my professional career. That, that sense of, of resilience to be knocked down and, and get back up and, uh, the other thing that strikes me in your story is the the concept of outworking everyone. And I, I imagine that even in your role today, uh, you're probably in that top tier of people who work hard uh, to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been working from my home office since I started this new consulting career and I, I wake up every day and I put a full day of work in. I, I love to work. I, I enjoy the successes that come from putting energy and effort into things. So yeah, the the hard work and homework recipe for success has absolutely carried through to a completely different, you know, industry. That that That's excellent. Uh, and you hear those stories about... Uh, athletes that uh, that do put in those unbelievable uh, number of hours to excel at what they're doing. Uh, and that drive really does translate to uh, the business world. I, I'd like to pivot a little bit now and let's talk about data and measuring performance. When you think about your, your career from high school to college, uh, through to professional golf, how did the data that was available to you as a player, how did that change? Um, it changed quite a bit. So in high school, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I was keeping track of my score and how many putts I had. And, and that's <laughs> probably it. Um, technology changed a lot in those 20 years from the mm-hmm. 90s as well. But I still, what I had access to was pretty limited in high school and, and what I even knew existed to track. Yeah. Um, as I got to college, you know, my wherewithal and understanding of what um, data was out there and what could be tracked, um, you know, also became a little bit 
I became more aware and started tracking, um, you know, fairways hit and greens hit and, and started to try to get an, a clear picture of what my strengths and weaknesses were as mm-hmm. a player. And you kind of always think, you know, right. I knew I hit it further than most of the girls I played with. I knew mm-hmm. I, I putted better than most. I knew I made more birdies than most, but that was, it was just kind of because I, I thought I knew, but the data really helped to, um, kind of round out that information. I was able to see how many birdies I made in a college tournament versus an other 200 players in the field mm-hmm. and see where, where that landed. So it just gave you an idea. It really, to me, it just confirmed what I already kind of knew as a player. Yeah. Uh, but it absolutely drove how I practiced the next week. If I had more three putts than I did the week before, I spent more time on the putting green. Yeah. Um, in college, I also learned about um, my mental approach. And I also started tracking my mental data, mental strength, Mm. mental aptitude data. And then at the professional level, that really became really, as I, as I was earning my tour card, as I was really reaching the peak of my proficiency as a tour player on both the mini tours and the LPGA, most of my focus transferred to that that mental data collection, mm-hmm. which was important because when you get to the LPGA, that data, to your point, you know, launch angles and, and ball <laughs> speed and club head speed and all those things. I mean, they are available and I use them to, to outfit me with the right clubs, right? I mm-hmm. use data to help, you know, and I wasn't the expert in that space, but I found somebody, you know, who could, and we were, we were, given all of that on tour, you know, there are people out there who could help fit us for the right thing, fit us for the right type of ball. Um, and then all the data became, um, public and uh-huh. accessible. And it became very clear that at that level, at the LPGA tour level, that, um, every, every data point meant a ranking for me. And, yeah. um, that was an interesting experience to, to <laughs> work through as well yeah because i I would imagine even in in college with the data you were tracking there um it just wasn't so public to everyone else the players probably knew some of the rankings but then to move into the professional ranks when you're when you're doing that that uh that that's something in the business world we don't necessarily have to pay much attention to unless you're, you know, looking at the the Inc. 500 or whatever, whatever those things are. Right. But, but your everyday performance is not public uh, to, to everybody to dissect. Now, as you, as you think about these two categories of measurements, the, the technical uh, and the, and the mental, let's start with the technical. Mm-hmm. Um, which ones of the technical did you pay attention to? Uh, when you were on tour? Driving, driving accuracy, driving distance was something that um, I paid attention to. I hit it plenty far. I I hit it farther than the average. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had to, I had to find a way to keep that ball on the fairway. So that was something I, I paid attention to and, and putting and really putting was much more than anything. Um, anything around the green, you know, if you play around a golf and 
you shoot 72, which is even par, mm-hmm. and half of those shots are, are putts. So, you know, we talk a lot about in the game that, you know, short game is, is that's where you make all your money. Drive for show and you putt for go. <laughs> and that's a real thing because half of the shots you hit um, are around the putting green. And so that, that, those two bits of information and hitting the fairways would allow me to get to the green easier. So those were two data sets that um, I used and, and it wasn't just hitting, it wasn't just number of putts. It was where I was missing it. Were there different lengths of putts that I was having too many three putts? And so would I start working on lag putting more and I know what was my three foot conversion because mm-hmm. that needed to be a hundred percent. And when it was, I was at my best. And when it wasn't, that was a place that I put a tremendous amount of time and energy into. So you, you were using those numbers to uh, change your practice or change your focus as you prepared for the next tournament, right? You're looking yeah, at those so things. What I and- was going to physically go and practice and spend hours doing in a practice session. Absolutely. The other data point was how many birdies and bogeys I made. And generally, it, we really looked at how many times I made birdie after I made bogey. Uh-huh. I made a lot of birdies. I made enough birdies to win on tour, which I never did, but I made a, I was, I was making as many birdies as everyone who won tournaments that week mm-hmm. because I made a lot of birdies. Um, and often they came after bogeys because I also made a lot of bogeys. Mm-hmm. And that data point was where um, I think I recognized with the help of a mentor, with someone I met in college who helped me start to like, understand the mental side that started to drive the mental data i started uh, tracking. yeah yeah well and, and you touched on this a, a little bit ago and i, I want to get back to it before we shift totally to the to the mental uh, data that you track and that was the the concept that all of this data is public um, mm. and um, people are ranking you uh, based on these how did you deal with that mentally and emotionally what did that what was that like as a mm. professional well when the rankings were good it was it was great, <laughs> it was great right it, it was a huge confidence boost but everything i did um, was a public data point what i shot mm. that day what i made on each hole how many putts i had that day um what my world ranking was what my money list ranking was and that money list ranking was pretty important because you know, whether I made the cut every week, right? I mean, that was, that was a financial windfall one way or the other every week. Um, and that was public, you know, people tracked that and maybe not me as much as others and people maybe that you have heard of on the LPGA tour, but I was very, I felt very exposed. You know, there Mm -hmm. wasn't, there was no hiding from my failures or my successes. And I've always told people like, I, I know what it feels like to expose my underbelly. Yeah, to yeah. be able to still show up every day and walk through that challenge and and come out the other side um, because I, I had to every day. I think I'm more resilient today because of that yeah. experience. Um, and I also I also had to learn to not allow that to define me as a person, but to just use it as a tool for my professional career. Yeah, I always thought golf was was different than a lot of sports in that 
uh, one of the rankings is is the money, uh, right? It, 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 and you you think about um, uh, baseball, football, uh, tennis is probably closer to golf than than not because I think the money plays a, a part in that. But it just it's always struck me that it was. Because in business, we don't really share much about, we certainly as an employee don't share how much we make, yeah. right? And you're not ranked by that. Right. Uh, now, I guess in some ways your companies end up being ranked by revenue, but that that just had to be very, very strange uh, yeah. to to do that. Well, let's, let's do talk a little bit about now this shift from the technical uh, to the mental. And sure. uh, what... What things do you measure, did you measure, that would be categorized under these mental membership uh, measurements? Sure. Well, like I said, once I became proficient, right? Once I was, even on the mini tours, I was a proficient, an expert in the game, right? I could hit every shot. Um, I could get myself around a, a, a season of, of tournaments in a um, you know, on tour, which is part of that proficiency is being able to be a touring professional. Um, I could hit all the shots. The, the challenge and the recognition in college that I came to is that I wasn't doing it as often as I could have, right? I wasn't hitting as good of a shot as I want, as I was able to, as often as I needed to, to kind of you know, get to that next level. And so I met, I met a guy in college who's has been my mentor now for 25 years. And we just talked a lot about the, the steps to being successful, you know, what, what are the right practices? And, mm-hmm. um, we, there's, there's, I could unpack this for three days with you, Jeff, there's, there's <laughs> so much because it, it's, it's what allowed me to climb the ranks of, of professional golf, which mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for. And, and I'm, I'm proud of, and I, I'm glad I can say that I'm proud of it now. Um, but we, we boiled it down to key activities, right? What's something that you can physically do to right now to make incremental changes so that we can build on, um, your build on like the, the positive and, and good habits um, so that we can change some of these technical data points, which mm-hmm. was really the number of bogeys I was making. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was we took each golf shot and we broke it down and so that I could manage um, I could manage what I could control, mm-hmm. which was a pre-shot routine, um, a during shot routine, and a post-shot routine. And the same kind of philosophy applies for an entire round of golf and in an entire week of a tournament and in an entire season on tour, right? Like it, it had the same concept that I would one in my pre-shot routine, know what I needed to do, right? Mm-hmm. I know what shot I needed to hit, which is collecting a whole bunch of data. Um, the distance of the shot, whether or not it's uphill, what kind of golf course we're playing? Are the greens soft? Are they firm? How far am I going to fly this? How far is it going to roll out? What's the wind doing? And taking, you know, your 90 seconds that you get to make sure you're preparing for each mm-hmm. shot. It's very intentional. Um, and then 
not and not being overly OCD about it either, right? I wasn't I wasn't having to do everything in a specific sequence. It wasn't that. It was just, hey, making sure we are making the right decision so that when I pull a club from that bag or my caddy hands it to me because it didn't matter to me either way, that mm-hmm. I knew I had done everything I could to prepare myself to hit the best shot I could hit. The next part I felt like I had the least amount of control over. But again, I was already proficient. I already knew how to hit the shot. Being able to execute it is the challenge. That's the mm-hmm. game. Yeah. And so I always had one, one intentional thought that I was going to think about my target and have enough time at the top of my swing to keep that thought in my mind, which we're now talking about being able to control your thoughts, which is yeah. where this practice came into play. And then the post-shot routine really is where it all started because in college and to this day, you know, I have, a, I have a pretty good temper. I'm a pretty um, intense person. And in college, I thought watching my dad coach baseball and football, and he was, you know, the kind of coach that would get in your face and fire you up and, you know, he had a loud, booming voice. Um, in college, I'd hit a bad shot and I would, you know, you, you name it, slam my club on the ground. Mm-hmm. I think I broke one of the legs on my golf bag one time. And, you know, my coach got all over me because I was just so not quite explosive, but I would get pissed. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd take that and I would go and make birdie on the next hole because I got fired up yeah. and it was mm-hmm. an energy. It was a, it was a, um, it was just trying to find a little bit of adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. And what I learned in college real quickly is that was a problem because if I wanted an adrenaline rush, all I had to do was pump one out of bounds and I'd get so pissed off. And then I'd go and like find a way to make the next two holes work because I was energized. Yeah. Yeah. And we realized that's a problem. Like what a negative feedback loop that had. Yeah. Become. Yeah. Yeah. And so that post shot routine became intentional. I Because what I didn't do is if I hit a good shot, I didn't like do a high five and like run around and get fired up. Like you, you know, Tiger Woods yeah, would do the right? tiger He's, pump, right? Yeah, tiger yeah. Pump, I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't have that practice. So what we tried to do is flip my uh, response. So if I hit a bad shot, take a deep breath, take a practice swing, visualize the good shot. And if it was a good shot, I actually had to be like, Hey, you know, if I got yeah, yeah. anybody, like, that was good. And he'd be uh-huh. like, yeah, that was good. Absolutely. Like, okay. And that was a, that was a hard pill for me to swallow. Yeah. That is, it, it's, it's changing mm. your, your something that's so mm. deeply ingrained. Mm-hmm. Now, how did, how did you track the, the, are you keeping track of this on your scorecard? Is that sure. how you're, how you're doing it? Sure. Yeah. We, so I'd, I'd call my mentor after every round of golf, which I know I'm blessed and, and lucky to have, but this, this was our process. So I would track, my pre-shot, my post-shot, and my um, during shot on every hole. And, you know, there's three to five shots on every hole. So, like, was I doing it? How many times did I get an X, a zero, or whatever my whatever my iconography was that was yep. on in the box of my scorecard? And at the end of the day, I would be able to call and be like, you know what? All but one time on putting and all but two times on the tee – and, you know, I generally struggled with the, the, the pre-shot routine was easier for me mm-hmm. to be successful at a hundred percent of the time. The during shot routine was very challenging. 
Um, but the intent was there, even if I didn't yeah, do it. Yeah, the intent, yeah. like I wanted to do it. And then the post shot routine is where, you know, how many times did I? Oh, I used a lot of swear words when I was on tour, Jeff. I'll try not to hear. But you know, how often would I get frustrated with myself, and how often was I able to like, yeah, you know, be mature enough to take a deep breath and move on because I had to go and hit the next shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I did. I checked it on my scorecard, and we talked about what the numbers were at the end of the day. Yeah. The the self awareness and emotional intelligence to be able to. Uh, be truthful of, oh. of, of, about what you're writing down, right? Yeah. Even even that, because you know you're going to be talking about it later. It's like, oh, you know, damn's not the worst word I could have used, <laughs> right? Uh, th- that had to be challenging. So let's let's translate this now into the business world. How did these mental, the, this process of measuring the mental aspects and focusing on what you can control, mm-hmm. how does that show up in your business life today? Well, you hit the nail on the head. I, I had to learn to be real honest with myself. Mm-hmm. And that was something I learned to do, you know, a little bit in college and shortly thereafter. So I feel very lucky that in my 20s, my self-awareness became my number one objective because I had to know what I was thinking. And then I had to be aware of what those thoughts created, what, what emotions those thoughts created. And I, I, I'm not a, not a psychology doctorate. I'm not a doctor. No, it's chemistry, right? Chemistry. Chemistry, Right. (laughs) Right. And so I don't know exactly how this all, you know, physiologically works, but I knew that if I could control my thoughts, I could control my emotions. Mm-hmm. And I had to be able to understand what I was thinking and I had to be honest with myself. So that, that honesty absolutely carries. It's how I conduct my day-to-day business. Mm-hmm. I'm very honest with people and in project management, when all you're doing is solving problems yeah. um, has been very, uh, has served me well because the reality is this is the honest solution set we are working with. I know they aren't all the best answers in the world, but that's it. And I don't, I don't feel any emotional attachment to that because it's just the honest truth and it's all I can offer you at this point. So that honesty has, has created, I think, um, just almost a benchmark for how I conduct myself as a professional. Mm-hmm. And then the, the awareness when, you know, you work with people and they have yeah. different personalities and they have different skill sets and they have different experience levels and the ability to not react in a situation also gives me time to to not be part of a problem, right? I don't yeah. I don't create a problem because I'm now reacting emotionally to somebody else's mm-hmm. whatever it is, whatever their personality or their their issues or um and and also recognize that when good things do happen that I acknowledge them. Yeah. With yeah. myself with coworkers, um, and, you know, peers and, and anyone that I'm working with, I'm very conscious that I don't just assume that people take care of themselves when they're successful, which mm-hmm. is by giving themselves a pat on the back and, and try to, to make that part of how I manage my teams and, um, you know, 
support my clients. Celebrating those victories, uh, even even the small victories, are is so important. Do you do you still measure the mental aspects? Are you do you reflect back on your day and kind of mentally keep track of the the emotion, the the mental aspects of your day? Yeah, I've definitely recognized that my um, mental practice is not at the same level as it was when it was all I was doing. So mm-hmm. when I was playing golf, it was just me and it was a hundred percent of my focus yeah. um, as a mom and a wife and a business owner. Um, it has changed my ability to like fo- spend the amount of time on that mm-hmm. sort of um, yeah. practice but I think because I've done it for so long and and I hate to even disqualify that because absolutely I do. I recognize when I get frustrated with my children and I recognize what that means and and if it was them or if it was me and being able to come back to them and have that honest conversation. And the same thing with my husband, I wake up every day, very intentional about, you know, growing our relationship. So um, it looks and feels very different Um, but I think the foundation that I had built with just the awareness piece has, um, allowed me to maybe I don't track it on a piece of paper every day, but I do, I do have a little gratitude journal, like Mm -hmm. what I'm thankful for. I I recognize how important that is. So yes, but it looks different. Yeah. yeah. Um, you don't carry around your scorecard. Right. That's a good question. I hadn't thought about that, Jeff, but, but yeah, absolutely. It just, it just kicks on a different. Yeah. I love the gratitude journal. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a, a, a great concept. Again, uh, taking the time to think back on your day or think forward to your day and just yeah. jotting a few notes, I think is, is vital. As we talked about status go, I, I love to leave our listeners with a very a specific call to action. So as as you think about our listeners, what are one or two things that they should go do tomorrow because they listen to our conversation today? I think it all started with for me with my mental awareness. You know, what can you do when you wake up tomorrow to to recognize what your mental state is. So, and I, I don't, I don't wake up happy, go lucky every day. I, uh-huh. I wake up feeling a lot of various different emotions, depending on what's going on in my life. Um, and recognizing that is step one and, and then being able to, to see through a day, like, and so if it is a journal, I mean, I journaled, I've journaled through my professional career um, regularly and it was one or two sentences like, mm-hmm. man, I, I, I was mentally tough today or man, I didn't do this as well as I could have, you know, yeah. I, I kept that. Um, and so, you know, do you wake up and can you start to recognize how your mental state impacts your productivity? Uh. And I don't know what your productivity is. Is is it managing people? Is it building systems? Is it growing a company? But whatever your goals are, because I I assume we're we're speaking to people who are highly proficient Proficient. in their field. And so whatever their goals are, is their mental state serving them toward those goals? 
or are you just putting up your own your own roadblocks? Yeah, I, I, I love that because it, it is your mental state really drives your success throughout the day, kind of those mini successes. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you start to put them together uh, into a, a round of golf, a season of golf, or uh, I forget exactly what the uh, how you said that the round, a tournament and a season that translates to business, right? Mm-hmm. If we can put those things together uh, over the course of uh, a, a round, a tournament and a season, we're going to be successful in business. So I, yeah. I love that as an action. Yeah. Allison, I, I so have enjoyed our conversation. I really want to thank you for taking the time and talking with us today. Um, you, you, you said earlier that, uh, you could talk about some, one of our topics for, for three days. I would love to be able to sit and do that because I, I just find this fascinating and I really appreciate it. I know you're busy, but so thank you very much. And thank you on behalf of our listeners. Uh, Jeff, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for allowing me to share my story and, and remind myself of, you know, those key activities that I also need to keep in mind for, for my daily successes. So thanks for, thanks for having me. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Allison Duncan. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.